1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. You're
0: listening to the Reversing Climate Change podcast by the team at Nori, the carbon removal marketplace. This is a show about the innovators and entrepreneurs developing solutions to climate change.
1: Hello and welcome to the Reversing Climate Change Podcast with Nori. I'm Ross Kenyon. I'm the creative editor and one of the co-founders at Nori, which is a carbon removal marketplace in Seattle. Today, we have a show that is very much about Nori, and I have my colleague here. Uh,
0: Radhika Moghavkar, head of supply and methodology at Nori.
1: I wasn't planning to to make you introduce yourself in that way, but yeah, hi, Radhika. Very nice to have you.
0: (laughs) Hi, Ross. Uh,
1: Obligatory plug, if you don't listen to Radhika's podcast, Carbon Removal Newsroom, uh, my goal is very much, you start listening to reversing climate change, you become obsessed with carbon removal, and you eventually graduate, you matriculate into Radica's care.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's a high, high bar, Ross, very high.
1: Well, this show has lots of uh, literature and philosophy and history, and it's more of a humanities focus, and it's broad. There's lots of carbon removal content in here, but it's also a lot of things that are not super Close to carbon removal but carbon removal newsroom is if you want to stay on top of what is happening in the fast moving evolving field of carbon removal um there's a couple other great podcasts too about carbon removal but none that have this panelist news uh keeping you up to date on it i don't know if you agree with that
0: we try we try it is always evolving but it is a great show and a lot of fun to do so i'm very grateful for the panelists and for our producer asa always
1: yeah. He's even, even hosted a show that just came out too. I thought he did a, a very nice job on, Yeah, you might be, watch out for your job security, Radhika. <laughs> ace is coming for you.
0: <laughs> oh no. Well, uh, you know, it's always good to have friends and backups, so I'll take it.
1: Yeah. We love you. It's a great job. Um, we're talking about the blended ton today. So today is Wednesday, the day before the show will be published. And we just released a, a white paper that we've been working on and thinking about for a long time. It's a concept called the blended ton. Um, Radhika, you uh, are the driving force and first co author behind this. Would you please introduce it for us?
0: Yeah, uh, the blended ton arises out of a need that we identified at Nori in that, you know, net zero claims are very difficult to make today because you either have carbon removal that's in the future for many of the more durable and permanent storage uh, technologies like DAC or uh, uh, rock weatherization, things of that nature. Or you have more current credits like soil and forestry. But as anybody who's familiar with carbon removal knows, these are a little bit shorter term, have a little higher risk sometimes around reversal. And so how do companies go about creating net zero claims today? Many do it at a portfolio level. So they'll buy a bunch of nature-based credits, if you will, forestry, soil, and then they buy future um, permanent credits. But that doesn't work for most companies. Most companies don't have that kind of bandwidth to do that type of ESG uh, work. And so we've created our portfolio level approach, but at a ton. So what it is, is simply the combination of Nori's soil carbon removal credit or Nori removal ton, NRT, which will overlap with a future delivered permanent ton of which it could be of any of the many different types of, you know, bikers, DAC, oceans, we don't know yet what exactly, to create, allow a company to make a net zero claim today with the assurance that it will be enough to offset a fossil fuel emission.
1: But I thought Nori was just a soil company.
0: No, Ross, and as you know, and I know you're just teeing this up for me, we have always been carbon removal agnostic. You as a founder know this better than anyone. Uh, We launched in soil, and actually, I think you can probably give a better history than I can, but we launched in soil for a whole bunch of reasons, but we never intended to stay in soil. And in fact, a large part of my job is trying to understand all the various technologies, their upsides and downsides, and kind of figure out how we bring on new methodologies into the Nori marketplace.
1: Oh, I can give a little bit of a history lesson. I'm sure people want to know why Nori is changing the way that we characterize soil When we started almost six years ago, I was just looking on LinkedIn of when I started and it said five years, 11 months at Nori, which is, (laughs) blows my mind to even think about. When I look back on those days, forestry is quite represented in other types of voluntary marketplaces, forestry is pretty available. Soil had been left out since the collapse of the Chicago Climate Exchange. So there was a a huge number of farmers uh, who, who may have wanted to participate, nowadays with carbon removal, if you're looking at the marketplace, you'd be like, well, why wouldn't you just go right towards something more durable? None of that existed at the time. Like it was all like there was carbon engineering, I think was, was the only operational one when we started. With that a might, twinkle
0: in the eye.
1: Twinkle. Yeah. A little twinkle in the eyes. Nori was super early. We made a bunch of assumptions about how in order to move a trillion plus tons of carbon removed from the atmosphere. We needed to build something like a commodity market, and you don't build a commodity market based upon the way a lot of the registries were working, which is very bespoke. You would select projects individually. We said that we just wanted people to care about carbon removed from the atmosphere. We used to say a ton is a ton is a ton. That story has also become complicated as time has gone on, too. Nothing, basically every startup you ever talk to, if they're around long enough, will be like, here's what we thought when we started. Here's how we eventually had to amend these beliefs. And like the long-term vision is still for Nori, we need to build a commodity market for carbon removal. Like we need to have that kind of skill to have the kind of impact necessary to reverse climate change. If we do not do that, I'm not sure that we're going to get where we need to go. The problem is we also live very far in the future where there is no supply available to have a commodity market right now. And then also the stuff with soil uh, the complicating factors too. We also, one other thing, Radhika, sorry, I'm, I realize I'm just ranting here, but I feel like I've been <laughs> to explain this for a while. Like we started off um, being very critical of ex-ante credits. Yeah. Like Nor, Nori made a deliberate design choice to only do ex-post credits. So things that have happened in the past. But when we started Nori, we were looking at ex-ante credits. So forward-looking credits for forestry that would estimate what the future carbon yield of force would be. And oftentimes it was very badly baselined. Um, They would burn down, but the credits were already issued and and retired by someone. So we made these choices. And then a lot of things and, and thinking have evolved around us and left us in a position of being like, hmm.
0: I mean, I think it makes sense when you think about what a net zero claim is and what is available today. Of course, you have to look at future credits, right? Because the technology is just not online. Or if it is online, it's at very, very low volumes at very high costs, which is why AMCs exist kind of in the first place to create that market driven signal. So uh, I think what has happened is the science has also evolved a lot around really what is carbon removal not and, and how it can be meaningful, right? You can you we have these two competing issues going on, or not competing, but maybe intention a little bit. You have tipping points, but you also have potential, you know, future ramifications, and you need a balance of both, which is what we believe the blended ton does. Um, but you can understand why companies are looking for permanent solutions that aren't available today, but are truly offsetting a fossil emission versus a land use emission, which is what is generally accepted for soil and forestry kind of credits.
1: Two related questions. Why not just use soil credits to negate these fossil emissions? And if that doesn't work, why not just buy uh, many multiples of the fossil emission out of Uh, less durable types of carbon removal, like soil.
0: So you kind of answered your first question with your second question. You can't use soil carbon removal credits because of the fact that, well, there are two things. One, it's part of the fast carbon cycle, right? So it eventually, when, when soil reaches its saturation point, there will be flux and carbon will be drawn in and carbon will be released. And that is actually what should happen in healthy soils. So soil never permanently stores carbon. But even when it's building up carbon and getting to that level of, of equilibrium, you still don't have the same permanence. Uh, you know, we only guarantee it for 10 years for a whole bunch of reasons, not the least being that we work with farmers who have other, you know, competing and tensions within their agricultural systems and they have to make decisions every year. So it's just not the same as. What is released from geological storage or rocks, or what's used for basically the creation of fossil fuels? So then, I think there is a argument to be made for the type of stacking you mentioned, where you buy year after year after year after year after year. But the governance around that is very is difficult. Um, how do you ensure that people buy it for that many for that long? Also, don't forget, like corporations, you know, they they. Are around for human maybe a little bit longer life cycle lifetimes we're talking about civilization lifetimes in terms of the um the types of emissions that are created by fossil fuel and you just don't have a human span to create that you know we can't monitor that in a meaningful way um and so i think that is why you can't use the stacking mechanism at at nauseam but you could certainly use it in a in a meaningful way for the you know human type timelines.
1: That governance question is so interesting. I know we can think of companies that have stood the test of time that are just brand names that we all think of. GE is the first one I come to mind. That's been, you know, several, several generations have been around uh, during its corporate Ford. lifespan. Ford. Okay, yeah. Sort of the legacy uh, institutions of American capitalism. But there, there um, how many are there like that? I feel like many companies probably, is it like, the first generation makes the wealth, the second generation t- tries, the third one loses it. Like there's actually a fair amount of income mobility with families that are like rich. Is that true with corporations too? They just get merged and acquired. I, mean,
0: I don't know. I don't, I think corporate law is relatively new. Uh, hmm. You know, it's a sort of a turn of the century, late, late 1800s, 1900s kind of creation. Um, so even if you're looking at the oldest corporations who might have been absorbed into other corporations, you're still looking at, at timeframes of 150 years at best. Right. And so it it just doesn't, it just doesn't do enough for what the legacy emissions that are in the atmosphere that what we have to deal with.
1: I I know you're curious about this too, because we've talked about it, but how does long-term liabilities like carbon being emitted interact with something like a rule against perpetuities as well. Like Could you, can <laughs> yeah. you keep a corporation on the hook for horizontal stacking for centuries? Does that, is that even legal?
0: I mean, the rule against perpetuities, you're stretching my brain from law school, but in many, many states, it's becoming a lot less, uh, applicable states mm. are loosening up around that you have lifetime and legacy trusts. There are a lot of different, um, ways to work in and around the rule against perpetuity. So I don't think that that actually would prevent you. It's more that generally the rule against perpetuities, you're passing along wealth to somebody. So it's like a good thing for the person who's involved in it. In a corporation, this is a liability if you think about emission reduction. So it's not maybe something that they would want to continue if they weren't forced to continue it. And so it's um, kind of, I think, a different mindset.
1: So it sounds like for governance reasons, horizontal stacking, while it might be theoretically sound, might for political economy reasons be difficult, is vertical stacking possible, credible?
0: Yeah, then you're, yeah, I think, I think you can look at it. But again, it it's all about when those, when those tons are released in the future and what that means in terms, you know, a lot of, a lot of people's critiques around even that type of stacking is that. In 10 years, what if there is a re-release and you end up causing actually higher temperatures than what you would have ended up? Because not only have you not removed the legacy emissions, you have also released a whole bunch of emissions or, you know, a whole bunch of carbon Um and this is also theoretical too, right? So I just want to be clear, like we're, these are all kind of games we're playing in our head. We don't really know what the answers are around this, because if somebody is critically looking at their blended ton white paper, they'll also note that we have governance issues we have to resolve. So I'm not pretending that any one of these solutions is perfect, but, they, but you know, it's a weighing of what we think the higher risks and the lower risks are of the different products. And the, and what control we can exert as NORI versus leaving it to our, to others. So at least in the blended ton on the governance side, we have a say in how it's created, how it's executed, and can put in what we hope are very strong guardrails.
1: I'm a, I'm attracted to the idea of vertical stacking. If you can take some quantity, some multiple of a fossil emission and buy 10, 15, 20 times that amount of less durable carbon removals and hope that it adds up to either the half life of that carbon molecule or the entire uh, decaying lifespan of that carbon dioxide molecule. There's something that's powerful about that idea, but also that's a, a theoretical mathematical approach to geophysical reality of one fossil ton emitted? and should we be adding some theoretical uh, financial device here when really you just need to you mobilize a ton of fossil carbon it's got to go back to the slow carbon cycle. It needs to go back to the lithosphere, the deep ocean, it's got to go somewhere. Is that okay? Do you agree with that?
0: <laughs> I you're asking some hard questions, Ross. Um, I'm supposed to be objective. Like I'm, I'm the CRN's carbon removal newsroom podcaster. I'm supposed to be objective. I'm the but... wild
1: card. I get to do whatever I <laughs> want. It's so, so my show Radica. I'm asking the hard question. You're the supply, you're head of supply at Nori. <laughs> me down.
0: Um, You know, I think quite frankly, that we should be using all of the solutions that are out there. Like for some people, maybe what you are describing makes a ton of sense because they're either in agriculture and they want to support soil or, you know, soil carbon or in the food system, or they have a strong interest in soils for whatever reason, like that is totally reasonable. I think where things get difficult is with carbon accounting and all of those other layers that we've added from a policy perspective, what you're describing becomes much more difficult to equate if you're using it in a net zero um solution and this is coming very dangerously close to 10 year accounting which as you and I have talked about many times you know on the face seems reasonable but but there's been pretty large uh, there's been a pretty significant rejection of it in re- in recent times so maybe we'll come back to it because nothing's set in stone so well from my perspective what you described seems great i think right now the market has rejected The buyers have rejected what you have postulated.
1: One thing I've been thinking about, and I've had a few conversations about this, is that on your accounting, which is very similar to this vertical stacking idea that we've been talking about, if you're listening and maybe it's a new concept to you, is that it isn't uh, an objection in kind. It's more in scale, perhaps, because I've also heard that biochar, which maybe we can benchmark at about 100 years, maybe 10 of those could credibly equal a thousand years of permanence, maybe that durability. And maybe it's just when you're doing delayed forestry harvesting, like NCX was uh, doing, um, or you were doing soil credits with Nori, maybe just the amount of measurement and credibility at that scale is just not good enough to equal like super long civilizational permanence. Is that, am I, is that correct or no?
0: I mean, I don't know if it's, I think it's just one of the arguments that's put forward, right? I think as you and I are talking about this, what what I at least am hearing is that there's just a lot of uncertainty around many different pathways to removing legacy emissions and getting to net zero. And, you know, people are, are trying different things. And in the market, some things are being accepted and some are not, and some are being accepted because... They're scientifically sound and some are being rejected even though they're scientifically sound potentially so Hmm. it's it's, I think, I think it's difficult to predict what the future will hold and I think on the face all of these solutions would be reasonable but I think that the the fact that they're being rejected isn't always. It's often because of the constructs we've put on top of them, particularly around carbon accounting and things like that, where you really do need to track your emission to to credibly report and things like soil and forestry don't allow you that same type of tracking. So maybe that's kind of your point, right? Like they're just not as durable, they're not as measurable, and therefore they can't be used as easily within these mechanisms.
1: One thing I've noticed in conversations around us developing this blended ton idea is that even people who may have been quite critical of our approach to soil or had very good challenging questions to it, once we were no longer talking about a strict carbon accounting use for soil credits from Nori, a lot of the objections vanished. I think a lot of the concern is uh, political economy concerns that corporations are going to use the cheapest credits possible to get the most PR bang for the buck. And if it, and if companies that produce credits allow them or permit them to make unscientific claims, they will not actually do the permanent removals that they need to negate, um, or the not do, yeah,
0: reductions they need to do right. They'll rather an offset over a more difficult emission reduction.
1: Yeah. But if, if we're coming out and saying, Hey, that's not an appropriate use of soil. Um, I feel like people have been much more understanding and say, oh, "Well, of course we need everything. Of course we need temporary carbon removal going full speed. We need permit. We need we need all of it if we're going to do this." And mm-hmm. it really just when carbon accounting comes into it, and like the businesses are trying to move credits in ways that may not be supported by science. That's that's where we've seen objections that fall away when carbon accounting is no longer the front and center reason for existing.
0: Yeah, and I think you know it's also when when we as a business as nori say that look these are this is a good use of soil carbon removal and this is not the use of soil carbon removal right soil carbon removal can be used for a subset of your carbon accounting potentially in like a like for like situation where you're using a land use change or you're only claiming it for like 1 1 millionth of an emission or something like that you know but it can't be used in a truly net zero, uh, for a true net zero claim. And we, we always have as a company and we continue to push the narrative. You have to admit, reduce your emissions first, and then worry about your legacy emissions through carbon removal. And that is the message we've always said.
1: Let's talk about like for like. Uh, Marguerite Kuiper is one of the the people acknowledge who's thinking impacted this paper. And she gave notes um, really big in the carbon take back obligation paradigm. Eli Mitchell Larson also from Carbon Gap also spoke about this when he was on the podcast uh, several years ago. And mulling this over for a long time. What does like for like mean for uh, for carbon removal?
0: I mean, like for like is just Basically, exactly as it sounds, where you match the type of carbon removal to the type of emission you have. So, I think about it as again, the two different carbon cycles you have the fast carbon cycle and the slow carbon cycle. And slow carbon emissions are created by fossil fuels. So, you need to return that percentage of the carbon that has been released, our carbon budget, to that type of storage, which is geologic, lithosphere, ocean, you know, rocks in the ocean. Type of storage. Then you have the fast carbon cycle, which is a, what we kind of touched on earlier. This the idea between high soil and forestries, where eventually you reach a state of equilibrium, and carbon is both being drawn down and released. And the amount being drawn down and released is dependent on the time of year and you know the conditions. However, you're never permanently storing all of the carbon that's being drawn into the soil or into the photosynthetic activity. And for scientists who are much more versed in this, I apologize if I'm getting it not quite right, but this is how I understand it. And you want to return. So land use changes where you potentially remove a forest or you or you do a type of agriculture that results in carbon being lost. If you adopt a practice that then negates that. So regenerative ag or planting a new forest, that is an appropriate use of that type of carbon removal. And so you have like for like, which is sort of fast carbon returning to the fast carbon cycle and slow carbon returning to the slow carbon cycle.
1: And that that strikes you as being an acceptable use of soil credits.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's an acceptable use of soil credits. I think most people would agree with that the trickiness is how you track that, right? Just like everything, the devil's in the details and and how you track that as a company and how you track that as a society. I don't know if we fully, fully figured out.
1: One other funny part of Nori is that we had expected soil science to become clearer and to become easier to measure and model as time has gone on. It turns out the opposite has happened. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know whether it's the opposite so much as it's gotten more complicated, right. As as would be expected. I, I guess the opposite that it's gotten clearer. Yes. It's Mm -hmm. the opposite of that. It's muddier, but I don't know. I think some things you expected are not showing are not actually being demonstrated. You know, the most, the kind of a classic example is no-till. Does it really sequester carbon? Does it potentially, create carbon deficits at a lower level of, the, we we just, there's still a lot of outstanding questions around that. And so I think everybody agrees that carbon is being sequestered, but how much and how it's still very much up in the air. And I think that is to be expected because soil carbon science is relatively new and it's very complicated based on so many confounding factors. And there's a lot of carbon in the soil no matter what. So there's a lot of background carbon you have to like account for. So it's, it's
1: tough. How do you think Nori will treat soil in the future? Are there upgrades or different systems um, that you might recommend uh, Nori implement that would uh, improve the, the measurement of soil?
0: Yeah, I, there are so many interesting and exciting ideas out there around soil. So I, for one, I think using it in this blended ton concept is a great application of it. We've gotten very positive feedback from lots of people who are deep thinkers in the space. Um and so for the you know, in that just general sense, I think the use of of any type of fast carbon um credit makes a lot of sense. And then soil, you're seeing a lot of both investment from the USDA, specifically North America, the EU has a strong interest in, you know, these regenerative farming practices. So there is a lot of investment, a lot of smart people working in the space to figure out, you know, how do you either bring down the cost of soil sampling and testing, which is generally considered the gold standard if done correctly. And there's a lot of nuance in that, but if done correctly, it's considered the gold standard of measurement. So there are companies working on that. There are big companies, you know, that we work with who are also invested in helping those other smaller companies develop. So there's sort of this generic ecosystem embrace of soil carbon, which I think will help help with the measurement piece you know and in the science um it it is what it is it'll take time but you see a lot of people working in the space you see a lot of interesting academic papers coming out so you expect i would expect that in the next decade or so we'll see a huge shift in our understanding around soil organic carbon and then there are a lot of imaging technologies out there that are also being developed that will play a really interesting role in Ongoing monitoring, potentially measuring, but that's, I think, much further down the road. But even the ongoing monitoring, which can be a big problem for soil carbon because the reversal risks are pretty, you know, can feel pretty significant, um, will help shore up people's confidence around soil carbon. And there, we've talked to at least like probably 10 companies who are interested in doing different types of imaging, whether it's satellite drones, airplanes, you know, sensors in the ground, you name it, they're all looking at different options.
1: We'd also like to thank all of the help that we got. Uh, Radic and I are both co-authors on this piece, but Rick Berg, who's our carbon removal methodology R&D lead here at Nori was also very, very helpful in making this. Rick Rick is an unsung hero. He's got to come on here at some point. I'm going to get him.
0: Good luck with that.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's
0: not super enthusiastic about being on a podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> also, Patrick Sowes, Nori's head of product, uh, very enamored with this idea, helped drive this forward. Interested in the productizing the portfolio approach that big corporations with sustainability departments have available to them, turning that into a product innovation, really important on driving that forward. And we also had help from a number of external uh, people too. Um, Holly Jean Buck, who's a regular at Carbon Removal Newsroom and a university at Buffalo. Um, I also want to ask Radhika is I'm a fan of Holly's. I have been for a long time. Does that make me a buckaroo? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. You and me both. We both, I fan girl over her all the time. My, my husband makes fun of me, but I'm like, but, but it's Holly. You,
1: you heard it here 1st We're both buckaroos. Yeah. Holly, Holly's great. Uh, Marguerite Kuiper, who we've talked about previously, who is a uh, consultant within the world of carbon management. Naeem Merchant, who recently uh, is the, with the founding executive director of Carbon Removal Canada. That's, that's right, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. And just oh. recently moved back to Canada.
1: Oh, wow. Our home and native land. Well, he, he's great. He's also a regular on the Carbon Removal Newsroom business shows. Um, Robert Hoagland. Robert, we we need to just have you on this show. I, I don't know why it's taken this long. It's outrageous that it has. We need to correct it right away. So let's let's find a good topic. If you, if you are anywhere near to the world of carbon removal, you've probably read Robert's blogs. They made a huge impact on our thinking here. Like Robert's been uh, just this voice in the back of my head for years now being like, we can innovate here. We can innovate here. We need to change the way we're thinking about this here. So really appreciate your leadership there. Will Burns, another regular of carbon removal newsroom on the policy front.
0: And also one of the old guard of carbon removal, who knows more about the history than probably anybody else does.
1: His, his comments on, on carbon removal newsroom are the ones where I'm like, okay, stop washing the dishes, listen up, (laughs) let this soak into your brain. Yep. Yep. And uh, Zeke, housefather of Stripe.
0: I mean, what... What is there not to say about Zeke? He is a leader in the space. He's a leader in the industry, You know, helping Stripe and Frontier do some really innovative work as AMCs. So um, just appreciate his voice and his help in developing a, what we think is a pretty cool product.
1: Agreed. And I think it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways. The, the team at Nori, so many conversations were had in the hallway. So much happened in the... Creative and marketing department to get this deployed and out there, and uh, just thanks everyone. Thanks for your your help, and we hope this can be. Uh, I think bigger than Nori too. Like we would hope this is a is a concept that might be useful as a framework for finding the rightful place of nature based solutions within carbon removal, which I think it's had a it's had a difficult couple of years of figuring out exactly where it fits. And I'm hoping this is one potential avenue that we can, um, not to quote Sasha Baron Cohen, but to heal the divide.
0: It's sort of unfortunate there's a divide at all already. We're a little too young as an industry.
1: Yeah. I think, I think no matter what, I think we all agree that we just need all of it. I think that's a pretty common view and it's only when carbon accounting or other things come up that it gets really spicy. And I think there's often good reasons for the spiciness. Anyways, thanks to everyone who was also just a really good constructive critic. Uh, We learned a lot from those notes. I think it's good that not everything just gets a rubber stamp of approval. I like that we had a lot of productive, hard conversations. It made me think, which is the reason I love my job. It made like got the gears going, and I think we found a potential way to innovate um, that really helps soil and helps carbon remo- removal broadly. I hope you feel similarly, Veronica, Yeah, a
0: hundred percent. Hundred percent.
1: Uh, well, thanks for being on here. I hope you reciprocate and ask me on Carbon Removal Newsroom relatively soon. <laughs> it's my turn. Uh, <laughs> I, I, mean, Rob, I feel
0: like this is the first time you've told me you want to be on Carbon Removal Newsroom. So for all you listeners, don't think I've been pushing him away. He's just not offered himself up. All right, you want to be on with Holly Jean Buck sometime? You want the two Buckaroos
1: together? I'm like, a, I'm a really good question asker, I think, but I think I'd rather go to Holly for a lot of these answers. I think <laughs> I. Oh, so you want my job? That's what yeah, you're... I'm coming. I'm, I put you in there. I thought Radica would be better than I am in Carbon Removal Newsroom. We will build a show around. <laughs> now you're getting an inside peek inside of Nori. This is this is what it's like. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Uh, well, well th- uh, anytime yeah. you let me know and we will get you on.
1: If I'm the right fit for anything, cool, but I, I don't have an ego tied up in it. I'm a passionate consumer of the show, though. I think I am the number one fan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you could please subscribe and give us a great rating and review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify, that'd be much appreciated. It helps us get our content out to more people. You can sign up for our newsletter at nori.com. Follow us on social media. and We will catch you next time.